Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, August 12th, 2012. This message for this morning is, What Do You Love? by Pastor Ryan Cochran, based on Jude verses 3 through 7 and 17 through 21. Lord, I pray uh, today that as we hear from you, uh, that you would uh, draw us really close to you, that we would know your love for us, and God, that we would be satisfied in it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord be with you. The story of Jesus' very own brothers, James and Jude, is a story of conversion. Last week, we, we reflected on the story of Jesus' family in the Gospels and the way that we saw them resist him and his ministry. And we saw, in fact, that Jesus' own family thought that he had gone crazy, and they went to find him in order to seize control of him and to keep him from carrying out whatever he was planning to do. But at some point in their life, James and Jude, the brothers of Jesus, became servants of Jesus Christ. Jude and James went through a conversion from men who wanted to stop Jesus and to take control of him to men who allowed Jesus to take control of them and who became servants of Christ. And this is the title that both Jude and James want to be known by, servants of Jesus Christ. That's who they wanted to be known, that's what they wanted to be known as, servants of Christ. And so we're going to be studying the letters of Jude and James into the fall. And these are both challenging letters to us as they call each of us to our own conversion. In the letters of Jude and James, we read a passionate calling for our own conversion, a calling for all of us to become servants of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we are always in the process of conversion. Often as evangelical Christians, we think of conversion. When we think of conversion, we think of a particular moment in the past when we made a decision for Christ. We think of our own conversion moment. As followers of Jesus, though, that conversion moment that you have experienced is the first of thousands and thousands of moments in your life where you are being converted by the Spirit of God to the way of Jesus. It is the first of thousands of moments of conversion. And today we're going to look at one way that Jude says that we need to be converted, one particular part of our lives where we need to be converted, and that is the way of our desires. Our desires need to be converted. What do you desire? Who or what do you love? Each of us needs to go through a conversion of our desires. In his letter, Jude speaks a lot about desire. His letter speaks strongly against those who follow their own evil desires and who lead other people to do the same. And we'll talk a bit more specifically about what Jude is getting at in his letter in a moment. But before we get to Jude specifically, I want to consider for a few minutes this simple fact that God has made us to be creatures of desire. 
As human beings, we are made by God to love, to have desires, to have longings for things and people outside of ourselves. We are creatures of desire, and this is a good, God-given thing. We are creatures of desire, and this is a good, God-given thing. This is important to say because I think that there are some impulses in the church that suggest that desire is a bad thing and that part of the goal of the Christian life is to suppress our desires and our passions. And I want to suggest to you today that the Christian life is not about suppressing our desires, but instead the Christian life is about reordering our desires and directing them to their proper place. Our problem as human beings is not that we have desires and passions that we have to somehow suppress or put in a corner someplace. Our problem is that we have disordered desires, that we desire the wrong things. Because of sin, our passions are directed at those things that lead to death rather than to life. Because of sin, our desires uh, direct us to things that do not ultimately satisfy us, but that ultimately disappoint us. Christian life and growth is, in part, about the conversion of our desires, away from those things that will not satisfy us, away from those things that lead to death, and toward those things that lead to life, and ultimately to God himself. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. I think I've probably used it here before. He says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. I think Lewis is right here. We are too easily pleased. It's not that we desire too much. It's that we desire too little, and we find ourselves satisfied with lesser loves. We are creatures of desire. We long for things outside of ourselves. We love, we have passions, and this is not our problem. This is a good thing given to us by God. Our problem is that these desires are too often misshapen and disordered, directed at the wrong things. Too often we allow the culture around us to shape our desires to tell us the things that we should want, the things that we should pursue, to tell us about the things that we should love rather than allowing our desires to be shaped by God and directed toward him. And because we have listened, because we have allowed, for example, the multi-billion dollar advertising industry to tell us what we should desire, many of us have given up on the pursuit of ultimate joy and ultimate happiness in God. We have found ourselves far too easily pleased. We have given up on finding satisfaction in life with God and instead have sought to satisfy our desires and our longings with another trip to the mall, with another vacation, 
with another internet search with, I'll let you fill in your own blank. In what ways do you seek to satisfy the desires and the longings of your heart in a way that is not directed toward God? St. Augustine, a bishop from the 4th century, has a very famous quote. He says, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. God made us for himself. God has given us desires and longings for the very purpose that we will seek him. As the psalmist says, as the deer pants for flowing streams of water, so my heart pants for you, O God. I search for God, for the living God. When will I be able to come and appear before God? Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We must go through a conversion, a conversion of our desires, not a suppression of our desires, not a pretending that our desires do not exist, but a conversion of our desires, a conversion away from desiring whatever the multi-billion dollar advertising industry tells us we should desire and toward God. We need to be converted, and conversion is what Jude's letter is all about. Jude opens his letter with these words. May mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. May mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Jude wants you to have love in abundance. The capacity that we have as human beings to love something or someone outside of ourselves is one of the ways that we are made in God's image. May love be yours in abundance. But we know that our love is often directed toward the wrong things, right? We want to have love in abundance, and so we seek to satisfy that love in all sorts of different ways. Because of sin, our love is disordered. Our desires are misdirected. And this has always been true of human beings. In his letter, Jude refers back to the Old Testament stories, to Old Testament stories as a way to illustrate disordered desires. In his letter, he uses many examples. One of the examples that he uses is the people of Israel in the desert. God had a plan and a purpose for the people of Israel a plan to bring them into his land, the promised land, a good land, a land where they would be able to live as his people and to worship God in the way that he called them to do. But as they were in the desert, their bellies became hungry. They got tired of eating bread that came from heaven every single day, and they began to think that it would have been better for them to have remained in Egypt, to remain as slaves. Ultimate joy was offered to them in this invitation to the promised land, but they were far too easily pleased with their memories of slavery in Egypt. Jude also reminds us of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
the people of Sodom and Gomorrah allowed their evil desires for disordered sexuality to neglect showing true and good hospitality to the guests that had come to their town. The possibility of the joy that comes through friendship with a stranger was offered to this town, but their desires were disordered, and they were far too easily pleased with the pursuit of a new sexual experience. Jude reminds us of the story of Balaam. Balaam was a man who was given power from God to speak words of blessing. But because Balaam loved money, he was far too easily pleased with the material benefits of wealth. And so he tried to use his gift of prophetic speech to curse rather than to bless. The children of Israel in the desert, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, Balaam, are all examples from the Old Testament of ways that people's disordered desires led them to be too easily pleased and led them to pursue things that led them to death rather than to life. So the book of Jude tells us that our desires need reordering, redirected toward their ultimate end in God. The reason that Jude writes this letter is that there are false teachers that have come into the church that are teaching God's people that they can simply follow their own evil desires. These evil teachers were turning the hearts of the people away from God and to other things. Let me read again just verses 3 and 4. Jude writes, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and denied Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. Jude wanted to write this letter of encouragement to them, but he heard that there's this group of teachers who are gaining influence in the church and Jude is concerned, and he writes this letter in order to warn them about this teaching. Now, Jude's letter is most certainly a direct attack on a religious movement that was taking place in that day called Gnosticism. I'm going to say a few words about Gnosticism, and I encourage you to not tune me out at this point. I'm talking about this religious movement that happened 2,000 years ago, and maybe you think that this is a good time to, to take a break and to think about lunch. Um, encourage you. Uh, I'm going to be talking about Gnosticism. It was this movement that happened 2,000 years ago, but it is alive and well today in our culture. And I want you to hear what it was all about. Gnosticism was a teaching that said that human life, human purpose, what it means to be a human being, is about discovering and finding the divine spark that is in all of us. Gnosticism taught that human beings have a, a divine spark, a true self that is buried somewhere in us, buried somewhere in this body that the Gnostics considered was really evil and wicked, entrapped inside this wicked body, entrapped inside this evil material world all around us. And Gnosticism taught that the goal of human life is to find and tap into that true self. And by doing so, we would be able to escape these evil bodies and to escape the evil world. So for the Gnostic, 
what we did with our bodies was not important. What was really important is that we would come to know and discover a truth about our inner selves. Our bodies and the material world are evil. They do not matter. What matters is whether we can find out who we really are inside and discover that hidden divine spark within us. Does it sound familiar? It should. Within Gnosticism, there were kind of two branches. One branch said, because the body is evil, what we should really do is abuse it. And so many of them would starve it, would whip their own bodies, uh, would do terrible things to their bodies because they thought that it was evil. But there was another branch of Gnosticism that said, because what we do with our bodies isn't important, we don't really need to worry about our bodies at all. All we really need to do is to seek out this inner knowledge about ourselves. And after that, we can do really whatever we want to do with our bodies. Does that sound familiar? It should. The Christian message, according to Jude and to many of the biblical writers, was adamantly opposed to this Gnostic message that was being taught. The Christian message of salvation is not that salvation comes from inner self-discovery and enlightenment. Salvation doesn't come from finding some divine spark within us. The Christian message of salvation, the salvation of humanity and of the whole world, is that God, who is outside of us, entered into our worldly existence so that the world could be saved, so that the world could be redeemed and brought back to its right and good purpose. The Christian message is not that our bodies and that the created world are evil and so we should seek to escape them, but that our bodies were made to be good, but they've been marred by sin, and sin causes our bodily desires to become disordered. But through Christ and the work of the Spirit in our life, our bodies can be redeemed so that they desire what is right and good. It's very clear that Jude is attacking this second branch of Gnosticism. What was happening in the early church, and it's also in the book of Colossians as well, Paul addresses this. What was happening in the early church is that this Gnostic teaching of finding our true hidden selves someplace was being mixed up with Christian teaching, and it was coming together. And teachers were saying that the secret knowledge about our inner selves that we have to discover and know is that God has shown us grace and that we can be forgiven, and once we know that, we can do whatever we want with our bodies. Verse 4. These are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as our sovereign and Lord. Jude hears that these uh, people are coming in and teaching that God's grace is a license to do whatever we want with our bodies. In other words, all that is really important is that we have some knowledge inwardly that God loves us, and so we can do now whatever we want. What is important is simply this inner self-discovery of God's grace and love. Jude calls this teaching godless. Jude says to his early readers and to us that our desires do matter, that our bodies do matter, and what we do with our bodies matters to God. And so, because we have been made to love, because we've been made to desire 
Because as Jude says, he wants us to have love in abundance, we need to be sure that our desires are rightly ordered, rightly directed toward God, so that we love rightly. Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. The title of my sermon today is, What Do You Love? Or, Who Do You Love? What we love, what we desire, defines who we are and influences how we act every single day. What we love, or who we love, defines who we are and influences how we act every single day. I want to tell you a little story um, about a man that you've probably heard of named René. His name was René Descartes, and he was a French philosopher who lived in the 17th century. And like all philosophers, René Descartes' goal in life was to try to figure out the meaning of life, to try to figure out what human existence was all about. And in all of his thinking and reflection, there came a time in René's life where he was filled with despair because he came to the point where he wondered whether or not he even existed at all. Perhaps a strange question, but this question filled uh, René with despair. And so what René decided that he was to do was he was going to shut himself up into a room until he could figure out a way to prove that he existed, and he wasn't going to come out until he did. And so this is exactly what René did. He shut himself up in a room for days and days just to figure out a way to prove his existence. René spent days in solitude and isolation, and after some time, he came to a conclusion. This was his conclusion. The reason that I know that I exist is because I can think about whether or not I exist. The reason that I know I exist is because I can think about whether or not I exist. So René came up with what is this now very famous philosophical premise. I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. And René built his entire philosophical project on this premise. I think, Therefore, I am. Rene Descartes believed that human beings are defined by their ability to think. What makes us human, according to Rene Descartes, is our ability to think and to reason. Now, this philosophical insight has had a tremendous impact on our culture. It laid the foundation for Isaac Newton's scientific discoveries that came later in the century. I think, therefore, I am has been a great blessing to our culture because it is in part true, but it is not complete. I want to suggest to you that René Descartes would have actually come to some more complete conclusions about human life if instead of shutting himself up by himself in order to discover what human life was all about, is if instead he would have taken his wife out on a date. That was kind of supposed to be a joke, but I guess it didn't deliver it very well. Descartes shut himself up by himself to think about what human life was all about, and he forgot everybody else around him. I think, therefore, I am is only partially true. 
What we think in some ways does define who we are, but even more so, we are identified and defined by what or who we love, not first what or who we think about or what we believe. Now, those of us who have grown up in Western culture, and this is not true of all of us here, I recognize, but all of us in some way are descendants of Rene Descartes. We define ourselves in many ways by what we think and by what we believe. As evangelical Christians, we think of the act of conversion as the moment in our life when we change our minds, where we didn't know or believe something and then come to know or believe something. And of course, that is true, but it is only partially true. The Christian life is not only about what we believe with our minds, but about what we love with our hearts. And the truth is, we have too often not guarded our hearts. We have allowed our hearts to be shaped by advertising or by whatever else, rather than shaped by the vision of life with God and love with God. Psalm 27 says this, One thing I ask of the Lord. One thing. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. As we look at the book of Jude, I want us to consider our Christian identity from this perspective. What makes us Christians, what makes us followers of Jesus, is not only about what we believe. It is about what we believe, about what, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the, dead, rose from the dead, but it is also about what we love the most, what we desire the most. Being a Christian is, of course, about believing rightly about God and his son, Jesus Christ. But our identity as Christians, and I suggest what really motivates our actions in our life, is about what we love, about what our heart desires. The actions that we take, the way that we act in the world, the way that we respond to our neighbors, the things that we choose to buy or to spend our money on, the things that we choose to pursue in life, these actions are shaped by what we love, what we desire, before what we believe and think. I think, therefore I am. Yes, Renee, that is partially right. But what is also true is this. I love, therefore you are. I love, therefore you are. Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Because we have the experience of love, because we have desires in our heart, that should point us to God who loves us. Friends, this is the truth. No earthly thing will ever satisfy the longings of your heart. I've been a bit cynical today as I've referred a couple of times to the ways that we allow our desires to be shaped by the advertising industry or how we seek to satisfy our desires through shopping or sex or whatever thing you want to fill in the blank for your own life. All of these ways that we try to fulfill our desires by pursuing these things are going to ultimately disappoint us. But I don't even really need to be so cynical to make my point. Because even the very best things in life, even the very best relationships disappoint us. 
marriage, even the very best marriages, disappoint us and do not ultimately satisfy us. Friendships, even the very best friendships, the most intimate friendships that we have, even those friends will disappoint us. Our longings and our desires are never fulfilled by anything other than God and God alone. God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. I think, therefore I am. Yes, that's true. But I love, and therefore you are. Because we love, because we desire something outside of ourselves, and because those desires are never fulfilled with any earthly thing or earthly relationship, that experience of longing that we have in our heart ought to point us to God himself who will fulfill that longing. And in his letter, this is exactly where Jude directs our attention. Jude, verses 17 through 21. Actually, I'll just read verses 20 and 21. No, I'm going to read 17 through 21. Jude writes this. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Keep yourselves in God's love. As we live our lives, we are waiting for these longings to be fulfilled. And at times in our life, we are disappointed, we are not satisfied, but wait. And as you wait, keep yourselves in the knowledge of God's love. May your life be identified by God and his love for you. This love for you has been made known to you in Christ himself. And what defines you, what defines your actions, is the way that you respond to him in love. Do you love him more than anything else? That is what will motivate your actions. That is what will motivate how you treat your neighbor. That is what will motivate how you spend your money and use your resources. What do you love? If it is Christ, it will change everything. Do not give up. Do not be too easily pleased in your life. Continue to pursue God and his love. Do not allow yourself to be too easily pleased with lesser loves. Do not allow your desires to be satisfied with temporary things. Remember that your capacity to love, your capacity to desire has been given to you by God. And may those desires and the disappointments that you experience when those desires are not fulfilled, may they lead you home to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the amazing way that you have made us uh, to be creatures of desire and love. Lord, we want to turn away, to be converted from 
the false desires that are in our life that do not satisfy and that ultimately disappoint us and lead to death. And Lord, I pray that by the Holy Spirit that you would convert our desires so that we would be satisfied only in you. Lord, I pray that we would be able, again by your Spirit, to keep ourselves in your love as we wait here on earth, as we wait in anticipation for the day when we get to see your face. Amen.